0: So what is it that makes people special? Even despite the sort of social revolutions that have taken place over the last 40 years and um, the establishment of a belief that actually everybody is equal, there aren't uh, more important or less important people, we're still as a culture slightly obsessed with um, making out that some people are special whether that's our crazy obsession with um, celebrity, or our our obsession with uh, people who are rich or beautiful, uh, there's still a sort of I think, really strangely, a, a sort of nagging uh, sense of the specialness of, say, the aristocracy. I was in a restaurant in Notting Hill the other day, and there was a review on the wall uh, by some lady, somebody or other, who'd reviewed the meal there, and that somehow that made it more important, because someone who was an aristocrat liked what was going on. I think one of the most sinister ways in which we um, uh, treat people as more or less special or more or less important is um, based on nationality and... Um, Uh, The idea that if uh, something happens and uh, five Iraqis are are killed in an incident, well, that's one piece of news. But if it was five Westerners, well, that would be a far more serious piece of news. If a child in Afghanistan is kidnapped, um, it's not particularly a story. Whereas if a Western child is kidnapped, it's, it's enormous news. I don't think we ever really have come to terms with this idea that actually all people are equal in God's sight, all are made equal and are of equal worth in his eyes. That's very hard for us to come to terms with. Paul in uh, chapter 4 of Romans is... um, Uh, talking about two figures in the history of Israel who, by all accounts, were deeply special. They were uh, very significant, chosen individuals who were profoundly blessed by God and used to carry out his purposes. And what Paul's going to do in this chapter is challenge the very notion that uh, these individuals were somehow special in and of themselves and, in fact, uh, call each of us to uh, the same response to God that they had. The chapter is mainly the story of uh, Abraham, and uh, the story of Abraham is one of life out of death. Look at verse 19. Paul writes, Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as death, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, that was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. Now that, as I'm sure you know, is um, a really rather an edited version of the story of Abraham, this man who uh, God had made a, a remarkable promise that he would make him the father of many nations and that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, and uh, that their faith had a real wobble. Um, when they were about 70 years old and it looked like this promise was never going to be fulfilled Um, they took it into their own hands and uh, Sarah and Abraham came up with a plan by which uh, Abraham would sleep with Sarah's maidservant Haggai and that they would have a child and that hopefully that would become the child of promise they most certainly did waver in their faith and uh, that decision is often looked back on as uh, part of the uh, tribal conflict uh, within the Middle East because the descendants of that child, Ishmael Um, uh, he was also the father of many nations and the conflict rumbled through the centuries but Paul's argument is that in the end Abraham trusted God and uh, that trust, that faith in God was credited to him as righteousness Paul also uses the example of David and makes a remarkable statement about what it means to be blessed and um, it says in verse 6 David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. David writes, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. You see, when we speak of blessedness, when we use the language of being blessed, we probably say something like, blessed are the rich, blessed are those who are happy, blessed are those who are well fed, blessed are the powerful which ironically, of course, is in complete contrast to uh, the beatitude of Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount. No, David's argument is, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. And if you know these things are true of you, do you know that you're blessed? Or do we still think of blessedness in material terms? It is, of course, a very natural mistake to believe that blessing means sort of physical material blessing. As verse 5 says, however, to the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. So what Paul's calling us to do in this chapter is to walk in the footsteps of giants. To take as our examples these two greatest of figures, the Old Testament and uh, to walk in their footsteps. What does it mean to be as special as them or as blessed as them? Well, Paul dismisses the idea that it's um, based on any kind of national or religious identity. In verse 9, he rejects this idea that God is somehow only interested in one subset of humanity, one uh, race of people, and uh, says, is this blessedness for the circumcised only or also for the uncircumcised? And he makes the point that, of course... Abraham was in no way distinctive from anybody else when the promise was made to him and when these things happened and that these distinctives were given as seals of that promise at a later date. So then he is the father of all who believe, circumcised or otherwise, and that it is through that faith that the promises of God are made real. And so then, if you have the faith of Abraham, you are a child of Abraham. As it's written, it says in verse 17, I have made you the father of many nations so, Abraham is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls the things that are not as though they were. And so, the story of Abraham is the story of God's power bringing life out of death when all hope seemed to have gone. Uh, by faith in God, life springs forth. And Paul concludes by making the uh, nice point that the story of Jesus is actually exactly the same. In verse 24 he says, But also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And so our story too is the story of God's power bringing hope when all seems lost we have a tendency to make heroes out of people and we want to make them great and i think in doing so we by doing so we miss the reality of their experiences when we speak of jesus we know that he was a man of sorrows accra- acquainted with grief the reality of faith is that it is hope in the darkness it is the belief that god's power can bring life even when all seems lost Faith will be challenged by circumstances and by our failure to act in accordance with God's promises, but ultimately, is that it is that most simple of things, uh, trusting in God, which makes us special. And it is within faith that we find the blessings of God and the fulfilment of His purposes. Paul calls us in this chapter to walk in the footsteps of giants, to remember. Abraham and David, and to emulate the thing which set them apart, which was their faith.